0: another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Last time we had the pleasure of a special interview with Candace Azara, who is an actress and a Catholic in Los Angeles, and today we have her creative partner, Michael Conley, who will talk to us about his work in marketing and public relations and his creative partnership with Ms. Azara. And we'll talk about how his Catholicism plays into all of that.
1: Welcome, Michael. Hello, and thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: Well, I wanna start with uh, the fact that today is the Feast of St. Ignatius Loyola. And you have told me that you are a graduate of Loyola High School here in Los Angeles.
1: My Jesuit blood.
0: (laughs) So you were actually born here in yeah, california born and
1: raised in la
0: so i mentioned in the beginning in the introduction that uh, you are candace cesara's creative partner and uh, she and i talked about uh, the last podcast that uh, that we were both from new york she from brooklyn me from the bronx so it's rare to actually meet a natural born californian that's amazing everybody else is a transplant
1: yes it's it's very exciting to be here as a native Angelino because I've seen so much. My dad actually graduated Loyola U in '59 when it was all male, mm-hmm. and he was summa cum laude. So, and then my mother worked for Father Maryfield, who was the president of Loyola Marymount University.
0: So, I guess the first thing I want to know is how do you and Candace Azara know each other?
1: It was really. Quite funny uh, and providential God sense of humor moment. Uh, I am a public relations guy. I'm a PR guy, publicist. And I had been pitched about 10 years ago by a program booker, radio booker out of New York. And I'm so functional within my Catholicism that I don't really think about it. It becomes part of my whole lifestyle. So he was pitching me on the show that he wanted one of my clients to be on. And I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm late. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss my Knights of Columbus meeting. <laughs> if, if if I don't get out of here, can I please call you in the morning?" He goes, "Knights of Columbus, you're Catholic." And I go, "Yeah. How would you know that?" He goes, "Well, I am too." He says, "You should meet my aunt Candy. You sound like you're the exact male version of her." I said, "I go, yeah. I go to daily mass, and it's part of my whole lifeblood, and it's who I am, and I've been able, very lucky, to dovetail my faith with my." my curriculum and then my faith with my my practice in PR my whole life he goes oh you'll love her I should introduce the two of you that was 10 years ago
0: well for the audience I want to just ask if you could describe what a PR guy and marketer does because I think a lot of people haven't got a clue
1: a publicist is someone who practices public relations so I'm a publicist in the field of public relations Public relations has two parts. The PR, which is the mouthpiece or the voice box for my client, and then the actual publicity is publicity writing. So, writing press releases, media kits, biographies, uh, stories for magazines, stories for newspapers. So, there's two functions. There's, and a lot of publicists don't do it all. I'm actually a full service publicist. So, I can take something from concept all the way through execution. I also do red carpet premieres, uh, TV, film. Yeah, I also sit on the publicity and marketing committee of the Writers Guild of America, West, and I wrote for Bob Hope as a kid, so that's why I'm on the Writers Guild committee. I was very blessed uh, in the Christmas of 1982. That is not a mistake, 1982. (laughs) I was the tender age of 22, and I got to write uh, three of the top sketches for Bob Hope's live we went live wow. from Houston, Texas, on the Bob Hope Christmas Show. So it was, I've been in the business a long time. I sound very young, but I had a landmark birthday recently. So
0: it was a perfect uh, creative match between you and Candace Azara.
1: Oh yeah, because we actually realized that when I was working for Mr. Hope, she was on Fatso with Amel Brooks, and she was starring in classic comedy written by Ann Bancroft and produced by Mel Brooks. While I was actually writing behind the scenes with Bob Hope so we were actually simultaneously working with legendary comedians and being trained under their tutelage and in, in production and it was just magic it was I was born and raised in LA she's born and raised in Brooklyn but she's a generation different than I and we just had this magical chemistry from the word go and it's now 10 years later and we have a book and a TV pilot and it's just wonderful she's an amazing lady and i'm so blessed to have her as my writing you partner. mentioned
0: the book which is
1: oh the book god please give me patience and hurry
0: so tell me about the book
1: oh the book was so much fun it is so much fun it's available on amazon and barnesandnoble.com and it's actually 24 short stories about having fun with life not taking yourself too seriously Kind of a little bit of a roadmap of how to get through life in Hollywood and life in general, uh, with faith and humor and to not take yourself so seriously, but to take it, your walk in life seriously enough to really learn some lessons that are valuable with God, multi-relationship. Yes. Multi-generational multi-relationship, everything from first year marriage to death, to, you know, chocolate addiction to it's just fun stuff. It really is a lot of fun and it's candy with her Brooklynese and me with my LA Hollywood I grew up here she grew up there and it's really just this beautiful blend of fun, laughter, merriment and some a little bit of life lessons and some knowledge about how to keep kind of keep things in perspective but using God as the focal point.
0: Sounds great. Now I'm getting the sense that you were and are a cradle Catholic from day one of from baptism the
1: womb.
0: right from the womb. <laughs>
1: yes ma'am so
0: did you ever have a time as i did where you lapsed from the faith
1: well being an altar boy for 10 years is kind of hard to lapse but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it paid the bills through high school i was working i even worked at the rectory as my mom was a single parent mom i was the oldest of three kids so the priests were so kind that they actually let me work all four years of high school at the rectory on the weekends, so i had spending money As well as I became head altar boy and I would even do the weddings and the funerals and I knew the mass inside out backwards and forwards, including the funeral mass, the matrimonial mass, everything. There was one time where the priest didn't show up because he knew I was so well versed in the rehearsal that the couple actually sat me at the head table (laughs) (laughs) at their wedding instead of the priest because they couldn't believe I knew the entire ceremony from beginning (laughs) to end without even a book. I knew it all to memory. Funerals, masses, and everything was just amazing. That that was was a long time. Did you
0: ever consider becoming a priest?
1: Yes, actually. I, I still, every once in a while, will think about the Jesuits. I tried becoming a Jesuit four times, and each time after the interview, it's a very thorough interview process, they kept telling me that I could reach more people without the collar because the collar can be confining, and it will let people not be as open and honest about their faith. So I think I know for a fact that my journey through 40 years of being a Catholic in Hollywood has been manifested by me just living as an example of my faith through this whole amazing four decades of TV and film and writing and producing and executive producing. It's really very humbling walk. When I look back, it's God has a plan for all of us. We just have to be open to it. But yes, I can still see myself being very sacerdotal and being more guarding. You know, we're taught as a kid ask and act as if God is sitting there next to you and God is your best friend. And would you say or do what God, in front of God, what you're saying and doing in real life? And I really took that to heart as a kid. And I still do that. I really do follow the do unto others as you would have them do unto you.
0: Candace and I talked a little bit about uh, sort of. A sense of mission even in an area like entertainment because I think a lot of us think that, um, that we don't have a purpose in our particular sort of shelves in life but in fact that's not true we do so entertainment you're saying has that kind of thing
1: oh yes I love it I really enjoy tell- storytelling I'm Irish so we're very good storytellers but It's also something, I love humor, and I've learned that humor can effectively communicate a much more serious message by having that little bit of lilt Mm -hmm. and that little bit of comeuppance, if you will, where you're not expecting it, but it just makes it that much more poignant of a statement using comedy. So you can be much more effective a communicator uh, by doing that.
0: Well, you've had a rather diverse bio But one of the things I noticed on it related to Catholicism is that you did a, I don't know if you'd call it a series, but you did a production called The Saints Speak.
1: Yes. The Saints Speak has been airing on EWTN uh, for 15 years now. And it's a series of short films about the doctors of the church, the saints. Uh, We researched all their biographies and we actually recreate the actors who are portraying the actors and actresses who are portraying the various saints are actually saying the, the words from their biographies. So we researched like Brigitte of Sweden, St. Athanasius, St. Saint John the Baptist, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. They're actually saying the words from the saints themselves and they're wearing the habits or the clerics of the actual saints from the abbey or from the monastery or. It's, it's, it was really just meticulously done. I was the executive producer, and then I raised money, and then EWTN matched the money, and then we actually shot some really wonderful uh, mini-movies, like five-minute short films is what you would call them now. But it's really fascinating to see. I call them real-life heroes because the heroes of the church, or the heroes, period, are people in my life who've walked the real road. I mean, superheroes are great. Those are fun comic strip Things, but one of the reasons I wanted to do the series, uh, "The Saints Speak," was because to me they were real-life heroes who walked B.C. and A.D. and were part of the actual formation of the Bible, and were part of our our heritage of being the Catholic Church.
0: Who's your favorite saint?
1: Saint Therese of Lisieux, without a doubt. Why? Saint Teresa of the Roses. Why? I learned from my mother the power of prayer and recitation of the Rosary and I saw her as a single parent mom with three of us kids, and she had such a prayerful life And St. Therese of Lisieux, the St. Therese of Little Ways. She just, my mom did everything in a little way every day, like St. Therese did. There was always the love and the kindness and the inner peace in her. It was just very powerful to see, especially a single parent mom in the 70s, that really let God be her footpath. And it was a great example for me, being the oldest of three kids, to watch that. And uh, so she definitely is my favorite saint.
0: Did, or do you find that being a Catholic in the entertainment industry is easy or hard, or you have no sense about it one way or the other?
1: Well, that's a, a very uh, interesting question. Um, I believe faith is more over the word of the day, that, the, the, one of the reasons I was excited to do the, the Saints Speak series and the book with Candy was that I've had such a, a blessed path in life that I wanted people to understand that there was uh, levity and humor on one side, but then these rock solid men and women of faith who formed and literally are the doctors of the Catholic Church. I mean, they're the reason we're doing what we're doing now, 4,000 years later. You know, 2000 BC, 2000 AD so there's your 4000 years but that's what I'm saying, we're the universal church, Catholicism is the universal church, so to me it's a subliminal thing I'm not by any means a sackcloth and ashes guy, I'm right. not proselytizing or anything, it's just I really feel it by example and the way I treat other people that people know I'm a, a man of faith they're not really sure which faith but they know I, I live a faithful life.
0: Do you find that uh... Sometimes in your travels, sort of the way you and Candace met, you say something like, oh, I have to go to a Knights of Columbus meeting, and it sort of triggers something in the other person, and they actually ask you about the faith. Does that ever happen?
1: Yes. I also have another saying, that I say, oh, that's a St. Jude moment. That's one of my big things I've said since I was a little kid, because St. Jude is my other patron saint. Who's St. Jude? St. Jude is the patron saint of hopeless cases and things despaired of. And Hollywood is a big trek up the hill. It's like Sisyphus rolling the rock, <laughs> and it just keeps coming back. Sisyphus and like, is not
0: a Catholic. Right, no. <laughs> but
1: he's a great literary <laughs> figure. He
0: sure is. For, for those who don't know, there is, and it's one of my favorite myths, because that's how I've always oh, wow. thought no of idea. life. I've always loved it. It's about a poor soul, this little guy whose entire existence, perhaps he's cursed to this existence. I think he is by one of the Greek gods or the Roman gods. And he's cursed to push a boulder up a hill for eternity, which will always roll back on him, so he has to start again. So that's Sisyphus. So that's how you kind of see Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, it's like,
1: (laughs) that's why Candy and I came up with, God, please give me patience and hurry, because it's like, oh, we have a great script, but not right now. Oh, the director's available, but the star isn't. The star we wanted is available, but they don't like the director. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Really? <laughs> it was like, can't we just get something done? <laughs> oh, well, we're not doing sitcom right now. We're doing sketch comedy. But we're doing short form, but not long form. We're doing uh, our drama D, not comedy. So it's drama with a little bit of humor. And I'm like, oh. I said, Candy, let's just do a book. I said, let's just have some fun with this. And she that goes, was wise. Absolutely.
0: That was wise. Because also, you have... <laughs> I mean, you don't have total control, but you have more control Crain over the
1: control, at least. outcome. And you got to find the right publisher and everything else. but Correct. There.
0: Well, this raises <laughs> another question uh, having to do with the difficulties of life, and that is that we have been spending something like five months in the middle of a pandemic, which has affected every industry of every kind in other people's lives. So how has that affected the Hollywood thing?
1: Well, you know what? It Actually, it really illustrated to me how integral my faith is because the churches have been closed. Right. And I used to go to daily mass or at least go to a daily church. So I'd pop in for five or 10 minutes, say three, three Hail Marys, three Our Fathers of Glory Be and out. If I didn't have time to go to mass, I would at least go and make a visit. So the fact that the churches have been closed since March, it, it has been so just, that's why I kept saying lifestyle, because to me, it is part of my lifestyle. It's it's my daily process. A lot of people would say meditation, or, but to me, just the solemnity of being there and closing my eyes and, and smelling the candles that are lit and the, and the different, just the calm that would come over me. Especially the first 20 years of my life, I was in all corporate America. So I would go to daily mass before I even went to the studio or to the TV network. So I I really set my whole day and my whole pace of the day was going to 8 a.m. mass and then being back at the office in time for regular day or going to mass during lunch and then going back to work at the studio or the network. So it's that's why I'm saying it was just so much a part of it. And then for it to be total stymied and totally halted, literally almost overnight, it was just like, Wow. how have you coped i have a a daily prayer book that i use and it's really remarkable how just staying there in the moment in the morning and reading from that is similar to going to church but it's not like being in church but reflecting on the written word especially me as a writer uh, it's very profound because i see all the symbolism and the allegory and the metaphor and the simile and that's why it's the greatest story ever told is the bible So, and I've also been on an online prayer group and an online reflection group. So it's it's very much part of who I am, but it's in a different space, in a different place.
0: Have you been able to watch Mass as well?
1: Yes, and I love it because I also sing in the choir. I'm a first tenor. So in addition to being an altar boy for 10 years, I was also in the choir. So when I wasn't on the altar, I was in the choir loft. So to not be able to sing at Mass or to be a lector at Mass or to be any part of that whole functioning has just been like, woo I mean, a huge realignment, but in a very positive way. So to, and then not to be able to sing now with, the, with all the regulations about the uh, throwing of the- Particles. Particles, and so notice I haven't sung in a church since Christmas, since Midnight Mass, basically, because we got cut off right at the beginning of End middle of February. February, early March. Yeah. So you know, Lent was no singing, and it, it was just this whole thing of really, like, wow, really, this is this is bigger than it. Then to me, it's bigger than the pandemic. It's really made people reevaluate everything in our life. It's like God just put a big stop button, and He said, "Is that your final answer?" You know. And I just wanted to say pay homage to uh, Regis Philbin too because he would talk about his faith and I think that was a major reason why I became so formulated in that that I thought wow here's a guy who's on morning television every day talking about Notre Dame talking about the Jesuits talking about you know Xavier Francis I mean hello (laughs) and again Saint Ignatius of Loyola Saint Xavier Saint Francis Saint Cabrini Saint that's what I'm saying Regis wasn't afraid and and I think that's what endeared him to people, is he was allowing himself to share who he was. And he's even buried at Notre Dame. He's He had his burial mass celebrated on campus. I mean, what a testimony to his faith and how integral. He's 88 years old. I mean, I really looked up and admired him, and I still do. And i just like, wow, if he could do it, I could do it. So I he's really want a, to pay homage to Regis Philbin today. He's
0: a good example of what we've been talking about and also combining with the little way. There is, I think, among Catholics themselves and among people who observe Catholics that we're a talking bunch. And that talk is intended to pull people in, but it tends to do the opposite sometimes. Talk actually can turn people away particularly depending on how it's done, if it's done in a way that's sort of, you know, you're a fool if you're not one of us, that turns people off, and understandably. But if you're living it, if it's an organic part of you, and people see the joy with which you participate in the faith, well, that could change everything in people's lives, in your own life, in others' lives. And that's how the book
1: has really changed people's lives. And I also want to say, since it is St. Ignatius' of Loyola's Feast Day today. A special shout out to the Jesuits at Loyola High School. I'm Loyola78, and the Jesuit community at Loyola Marymount, especially Father Robert Walsh, who is the Chancellor of Loyola Marymount. He and I started together at Loyola High. Back in 1974, he was uh, in the novitiate. He was a novice, and he was a scholastic rather, scholastic, Jesuit scholastic. And he went from Scholastic at Loyola High School all the way to Chancellor of Loyola Marymount University. And I was in his CLC program, Christian Life Community. And he just was another man who I really respect and admire uh, as a priest, as a man, and as a teacher, and as a f- very positive formation person in my life. That And God bless you, Robert Walsh, wherever you may be today. I uh, give for AMDG, on my de Gloriaum for the greater glory of God.
0: Well, you're mentioning someone who affected your life. When I talked to Candice, I asked her about the people who affected her life. This priest was one of the people who did for you. Who else? And other than Regis Philbin as well.
1: Father Dan Ryan, SJ. He taught AP English at Loyola High School. And he saw my talent early on as a kid. And he would sit with me after school and say, you know, Michael, if you just focus a little bit more on your non sequiturs and focus a little bit more on building your paragraphs and focus more on honing in your who, what, when, where, why, how, he says, you're going to have a wonderful career as a writer and a journalist. So yeah, Father Dan Ryan, who's also uh, in heaven now. He, I thank him every day for the time and attention he took to seeing my actual potential and really developing it and honing it. I,
0: Isn't that interesting? Very blessed. You, as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the people from my educational background, which is also Catholic in the sense that uh, I started in kindergarten, a lot earlier than you, 1959, oh. uh, pre-Vatican II, and uh, went all the way through high school at... Uh, the Academy of Mount Saint Ursula, which is uh, the oldest girls' Catholic school in the Bronx, still exists, but only as a high school now.
1: Oh, Regis from the Bronx too.
0: That's right. That there you go. Another good reason to like the guy. So the the people who affected me, I can tell you right now. When I was a kid in uh, kindergarten, uh, there was a nun who was probably ninety years old then, named <laughs> uh, Mother Anna, and Mother Anna was the reason I took piano lessons because she would sit with me and play Mary Had a Little Lamb on the piano. And I became fascinated with the piano and played it for a number of years. Don't really anymore sort of noodle at it from time to time, but don't do it. And then uh, my fifth grade teacher was amazing. She used to take us, now these are days that you don't see now where the nun would lead us on the subway, 30 girls on the subway to go to Lincoln Center to watch a ballet. you know this kind of stuff doesn't happen and she got me interested in all sorts of things cultural and interestingly enough that's what I liked about them is that yes they were religious but they were interested in all things cultural all things historical all things philosophical amazing people and I think that for whatever reason I am I became what I became because these women told me that I could and this was long before the women's movement.
1: Yeah, formation. That's what I'm saying. It's people who really, your formative years are in school and you really do become what you learn. Absolutely. It's it's really powerful.
0: I, in fact, think my high school education is far better than even my education at Fordham because everything I learned there about history, about art, about religion, was so nuanced. And there was nothing black and white about it in the sense that, you know, it only had a Catholic perspective. It had the Catholic perspective, small c, which as you said earlier, is universal. But it wasn't narrow in any way. Uh, I think we even had a sex education course, believe it or not, although it was a very silly one. (laughs) (laughs) So that's so you have three people, four people who were pretty much uh, involved in your life and sort of formed you. Is there anybody in more recent times?
1: Wow, that's a good question too. That's let's see. I like the old comedy classics, like Laurel and Hardy mm. and Abbott and Costello, and you know, of course, Bob Hope and George Burns and Milton Berle and the the classic comedy. Where you set it up and you have the payoff, you have the punchline, you have the hook, you have the button, you have all those things that people don't even understand. Right. That these I don't guys... even know. What's a button? Oh, well, it's how you... It, it's a long story.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll skip it.
1: <laughs> but it's... it's my, was a, you know, my grandfather, other grandfather was a tailor, so I try to use... Oh. buttons and hooks and stuff. Um, I get you, I get So you. it's a little homage to my, my mother's father also. I today.
0: don't know if they're meeting now, but had you ever gone, a, friend, a couple of friends of mine have gone to the Sons of the Desert, I think is the name of the thing, the Laurel and Hardy Club. I've heard of
1: it, but I've never been. You ever
0: been. Well, I think it's quite a bit of older characters, and they've gone a few times and they, they've enjoyed it. So, you know, yeah, Laurel and Hardy, the most amazing oh, folks.
1: Yes, and Peter Sellers and Being There, in my all-time favorite comedy movie. He's absolutely brilliant. He did all the Pink Panther movies, but the only movie he got nominated for Best Actor uh, Comedian Role was Being There, and it's just absolutely magnificent screenplay, magnificent performance, just it it changed my whole perspective of motivation and inspiration and just the completeness of mind, matter, and soul all wrapped into one. The character of
0: well, tell us a little bit about the movie since you're referring to it, and and then you can tell us what about the mind, matter, and soul of the movie moved
1: you. Well, he he plays a gardener named Chauncey. Chauncey is the gardener. He sees everything with a seed, a seed. A sprout water and dirt (laughs) it is just brilliant how he sees life is so simple I mean some people even call me uh, Forrest Gump because I really see for as complex and layered as I am uh, I really kind of see things very simply also and a lot of my friends would call me you know Forrest hey Forrest Mm -hmm. to me that's a great compliment Mm -hmm. because life really is a box full of chocolates because you'd really never know what you're gonna get but it always tastes good Wow, you're so, an optimist. Oh, yeah. No it's, wonder
0: you and Candace get along
1: well. Yes, I'm the eternal optimist. My, I remember my grandparents and my parents saying as a little kid, oh, Michael's the eternal optimist. Now, even as a little boy, I always saw the glass half full.
0: So going back to being there and the character of Chauncey, as I recall, he is so simple, almost to the point of seeming challenged. Right. But people, because he is so direct and so... Out there, honest, honest. They think he's a great philosopher. Oh
1: yeah, it's even really... though he's not. <laughs> I happen to be blessed with the education of, of the philosophy, especially Loyola Marymount. They really had a lot of philosophy classes back in the seventies, and but yeah, he he has the profundity of being the scholar, but he has the intuition of being a simpleton. I mean, truly, and it's just that magic. Of the writing and the production and the direction, and then of course Shirley MacLaine is phenomenal too, and uh, just just a great film all around. And I those are the four people I wanted to give homage to today: Father Walsh, Father Ryan, Saint Jude, and Chauncey the Gardener, and Regis <laughs> Philbin, and five. Regis Philbin five. The big five. Those are my fab five.
0: The big five. Boy, they're an eclectic group. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's but that's what i mean it's it's just you there's relatability to all those characters part of the intrinsic part of who you are is really being comfortable with who you are who you've become why what and why do you value things and not being afraid to just live a happy life i mean sure there's a lot of tragedy and a lot of pitfalls and pratfalls and everything else but you got to just keep picking yourself up and keep going i mean it's especially now it's just like if you if you can't be your own source of inner strength and to me that's where faith comes in you got to really be able to like oh oh my god we got to do this again and again and again and then we're closed and then we're open then we're closed and then we're open and you can't do this and you can't do that but oh gotta keep trying to make money and then then it's just so it's i think this has been a great rebirthing process this whole pandemic this whole thing of it's really made people examine who they are where they are in their life what they're doing and how are they going to survive past this because this has really changed the the scheme of things on a global scale i mean that sounds cliche but it really is it's yeah i mean the thing is and again, to talk about the faith, even in World War One and World War Two, the churches were never closed. That's where you went and sought your solace. That's where you got your faith. The entertainment industry didn't close. It became even more glorious, more glamorous, that's true. more. I thought about that. And the theaters didn't close. You could go and and escape for two hours. You could see and participate. And that's what's really the biggest thing to me is not that I was around <laughs> during World War One or World War Two. What I'm saying is really true in the sincerest form is that everything's shut down we don't have a church to go to we don't have a theater to go to we don't have anything to really look forward to right now and i think that's what the whole part of this is is that for the first i mean they just canceled the rose parade yeah i heard that i mean it's like, like that hasn't been canceled since world war Two either i mean we're talking 80 years have gone by since things have been like this or longer and but everything is just shut down that's why I said I really think God put a big stop button and said okay everybody look at the mirror and it's time to look at yourself and see who you are what you are what you believe in what you don't want to do what you do want to do and really reevaluate
0: well that actually raises another question or another aspect of things that Candy and I talked about and that was about the Eucharist which is the center of the Catholic faith and how that has been one of the things that has been interrupted because obviously uh, for you couldn't go to Mass. People who were at home and disabled couldn't get a priest to come to them initially. I think that may have changed since again, but for a long time the Eucharist was completely blocked off from, from our availability. And uh, I mentioned last time that, and we talked about it, Candace and I, that the Eucharist is the center of our faith because we Catholics believe that once the priest says the words of transubstantiation, the bread and wine that still appear as bread and wine are substantially changed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Now, that's that's a lot for people to take in who are not Catholic. It's a lot for people to take in who are Catholic. And in fact, they say that uh, two-thirds of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. But you said a stop button. In a way, it's an opportunity for us to appreciate the Eucharist in a way that we haven't been, that we've been sort of casual. Hey, you know, yeah, I go to communion, I receive this host without thinking of what it is. So that stop button, I've heard a lot of people say, I really miss the Eucharist.
1: Oh yeah, what's one of the things I miss about going to Mass. And then when you're watching Mass on TV now, they have the prayer of communion but that's not receiving communion. That's not going and receiving the body and blood of Christ. It's, it's really been a huge, huge uh, realignment of things.
0: Now, I know I won't say what our parish is, but um, they have started to do outdoor services again on Sundays. So we've been lucky to be able to go outside and receive communion, which you know, it's, it's been a help. You know, well, it's it, like
1: the drive-in movie, only it's you're waiting for God to show up. <laughs> it,
0: is, it is kind of an oddity. Uh, it's really... <laughs> one of the things that actually I was discussing with our pastor was the fact that being outside could have the tendency to have people feel even more casual about going to Mass because it's sort of, you know, it's in the sun, it's the trees, the breeze, the birds, and are you paying attention to what's going on in front of you? And uh, it's better than nothing. I certainly have no desire to have it stopped, uh, but it would be nice to be able to go back inside the church and go back to the ritual that causes us to be very aware of God and his his plan for us and his desire to infuse us with the Eucharist.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, that you said that. Conversely, watching Mass at home on Sunday, before we were allowed to do the outdoor, you know, drive-in type thing. I kind of had a foreshadowing of what it might be like when I'm too old to go to Mass. Mm-hmm. And all I am is sitting in my bed or sitting in my chair in my room. And that's all I have is that communication of watching the Mass on the TV screen. So it was, it's what I'm saying. It's, I mean, I'm really going way deep now. <laughs> but it's It's really been almost like a, a um, an ability to find solace even in that that in my own solitude sitting in my bedroom on Sunday watching the mass it's like those are people that are what about the people who now or or before all this happened who were homebound and don't have a car or don't have anyone to come pick them up it's it's what I'm saying to me it's really been a very much of a soul-searching time and really getting to reacquaint myself with all that's going on and people say oh I read your book or I'll get an email saying oh my gosh I just read so and so chapter and it's hysterical and I was laughing so hard I was crying and one of the guys I went to high school with at Loyola High he t- he actually turned one of our chapters from the book into a uh, YouTube video so it's it's really been amazing I, I I'm so touched by how Candace and my writing of the book has really affected so many people on so many different levels especially now because humor pretty much has to get you through the day yeah and. I've had some other friends and even I go back to Amazon and read some of the reviews of people who've bought it through the thing and they're off, you know, authorized.
0: Right. Verified purchasers. Verified
1: purchasers, yes. And I'm like, wow, it's it's really humbling, again, to see what Candy and I just had so much fun writing has so deeply affected everybody. And you can tell by what part of their book was their favorite, almost what age group they fall into. And that's what, Candy and I really wanted to address when we were getting the themes and the concepts and and all the different uh, modalities for the chapters in the book, was to really affect multi generational families because we all come from them. You know, especially Candy, she's got relations who are in their nineties. <laughs> you know, and then she has her little nieces and nephews who are you know in grammar school. So. It's really phenomenal. She's just an amazing lady, and I'm so blessed to work with her. And just she's so genuine, and so sweet, and kind, and so honest, and real, but so talented. Very oh talented. My
0: gosh, well, as I said to her when we did the podcast, she's had a career to
1: die she's for. She's had four careers.
0: Yeah, she's just and she just moves on to the next thing when she doesn't let any grass grow under her feet.
1: No, I mean she's had four major sitcoms. Over twenty major movies with star billing. She's been, you know, the leading lady to Walter Matthau, Art Carney, Tom Deloze, Gene Wilder. I mean, it's just luminaries. Right. It, it it's
0: and she's very unaffected by it. Oh, I mean, she appreciates totally. it, but she's not like,
1: look at me. It's her gift. Right. And I told her, I said, I said, do you have any idea? The I mean, Norman Lear writes about her in her in his. Autobiography. Valerie Harper writes about her in her autobiography. Anne Bancroft writes about her in her autobiography. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's it, she's a, literally a living comedy legend, mm-hmm. and she can do feature films with uh, Cameron Diaz to a sitcom with Valerie Harper, and you know, it's it's just remarkable.
0: It is, and as I said, she's so unaffected. I think that's the most remarkable thing that she is as genuine. Having lived this career, as she might have been if she had been doing some other—not low level, but something that was much more anonymous.
1: Right. Well, and she also has that gift of timing. Her comedic timing is—it's her gift. It's her gift. Yeah. You know, you don't go to school to learn that. That's you're born with that.
0: I think she disagreed with you, though. I think she would tell you that she had to hone that skill. That's what she told me the last time. I want to—I want to move on to a sort of a final aspect of things and that is what's going to be going on now what are you and she or just you working on right now
1: well i still have my publicity company conley communications and i i still make my my bread and butter with the pr writing and writing stories and that but we're hopefully we're turning the book into a a sketch comedy pilot that we're going to take out as soon as all this craziness dissipates we hope (laughs) I mean, we have our target list of people we want to get it to, but uh, I really just feel that I'm so blessed to have the life I've had, to to be able to accept who I am, where I'm at, at all times, and still have that overriding ability to hit the comedy meter and, and laugh out loud and make other people laugh out loud. And
0: I know from what Candace and I talked about last time is that without saying much about it, you, you've been working on a series too.
1: Yes. So we're... Hopefully, once again we offices start opening, we can physically go in and pitch. We we also have another 24 short stories done for a uh, oh. second book, and oh yeah, the the first book was gonna be she wanted to do all 48. I said no, Candy, I said we gotta have something to, as a follow up. <laughs> it back a little so a bit. So we put the first 24 in the God give me patience and hurry, and then we have another 24 that are done. So. When it comes time to do that, we're ready to go just a little bit of editing. We can do, God, please give me patience and hurry, part two. And then we've got the pilot in the can, so to speak. And it's just wonderfully funny. And it's multi-generational, again, from millennials all the way to, uh, I don't know if I can say it, menopause.
0: <laughs> you can say it. It's a reality. <laughs>
1: uh, but, no, we go from literally from, you know, it's it's just fun. We have fun making fun of life, but treating the people that it involves with. with
0: empathy. Empathy,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. And where from the empathy comes the comedy, because we all can see ourselves. And men, too. I mean, you know, we don't go through menopause. which funny. We should act, Men should actually go through menopause, <laughs> and then women should go through something else. Right. So yeah. it's, you know, but again, there's the comedy in that, too. They suffer suffer
0: from lots of things, too. Yeah, of course.
1: We suffer from our own set of stuff that no one even knows about. (laughs)
0: That's right. Well, I have been delighted to have you here. And uh, is there any final word you'd like to say about being a
1: Catholic? I think you just got to accept and be happy where you are in life. Not try to be the people pleaser, but be someone who's happy and pleased with who they are. And know that God created you just where he wants you to be with who he wants you to be in that part of your life. And to know and understand that faith and family are the paradigm of what we need to get back to and to really value that gift that God gave us. Whether it's, you know, being a surgeon or an architect or a comedian or a writer or a teacher and God bless teachers because I certainly wouldn't be sitting here today without the amazing men and women, lay people and nuns from St. Joseph of Carondelet, I'm a SJC guy uh, here in LA and God bless all the nuns at you know Mount St. Mary's, Doheny campus and the Bel Air campus uh, for my primary school years and then the Jesuits for high school and college. Those men and women who literally gave their lives to God and then gave it to, in service to the kids I just went to my forty-fifth grammar school reunion. That's the other thing about Catholic education uh, is we, some of the girls literally found almost every single person that I've known since sixth grade. It's truly remarkable. I, I've been so blessed, and I, I give it back to God among, immensely, not just through tithing, but truly giving back to others. And that's the the, the credo, I guess, for the to end this conversation is, you know. The Jesuit faith is not only on maiorem de Gloriam for the greater glory of God, but one of the precepts of the whole Jesuit order is to give and not count the cost. And that's part of the prayer of St. Ignatius, you know, give me only your love and your grace. That's enough for me. So it's it's really a very profound way of life and it can be a very happy way of life, too.
0: Oh, I really appreciate your coming and talking to me. This is my second interview on this little new podcast, Ordinary Old Catholic Me. And I'm hoping to have quite a few other interesting people who have a very terrific life, interesting life, complex lives, but also are Catholic. And maybe we'll have a couple of non-Catholics to come on in and talk about their curiosity about the faith. In any case, thanks a lot,
1: Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great week. Thanks again to Michael Conley
0: for that lovely interview. And I look forward to our visit next time on Ordinary Old Catholic Me.